Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. So I know this is a little bit out of the norm, but given that it's a new year and with everything going on with the pandemic and virtual or socially distant schooling, as well as not being able to see loved ones and the immense pressure we have as parents to take it all in and parent through the frustration and anxiety and confusion and sadness, I thought that I would do something a little different. There's loneliness and all other mixed feelings right now, and I just wanted to spend some time with you one-on-one to discuss how to talk to kids about this new year, where we're heading, altered goals, and starting off 2021 with some empathy for others and some kindness and some patience for ourselves. Before we launch into everything, I wanted to tell you first this very important announcement. So drum roll, please. I am writing a new book on how to talk to kids about tough topics. And it's going to be published by Sourcebooks, an absolutely wonderful publishing house that shares my excitement about this topic, as well as all of you. It will cover some of the toughest and touchiest subjects, and you will have it to reference at a moment's notice. And I'm so excited about it. And it'll be published in 2022 uh, by the time it hits the shelves. But I did want to let you know because it is brand new. And I wanted to thank you also because it is because of you, my loyal listeners who have urged me forward with your amazing reviews and your loyal listenership and your questions and your kind words about the discussions and my guests and our tips and scripts. And so I am writing this for you, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am so excited. So, yay! So, let's talk talk about starting 2021 off with some goals grounded in empathy. What I've been seeing and hearing during the pandemic from parents is a lot of stress and frustration and anxiety. Hey, I've been feeling it too. And it's so many things that this pandemic is bringing up. Needing to work while many kids are still in virtual school or a hybrid situation, uh, feeling stressed, needing space while the kids are always there, not being able to see friends and decompress, not being able to go to the gym and feel safe, worrying about friends and loved ones and the number of COVID cases and deaths that keep rising. And it's, it's just so much. So Of course, all these feelings are normal and okay. Again, I'm feeling them too. It's okay that 
You might not be loving every single moment with your kids or home with your family after 10 months of being sequestered with them so much of the time. It's okay to feel lonely as you haven't been able to maybe see your friends and family. And it's okay to feel confined and frustrated and annoyed and angry and anxious and depressed and just plain tired of it all. Um, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. And of course, there's pockets of joy and and I feel those too. But it's okay that you're not feeling that every single moment. It's probably not easy given that we are constantly seeing and hearing about families that look like they're enjoying every moment. When we see those smiling photos of families looking perfectly amused in matching outfits on Facebook, it's easy to wonder what is wrong with me? Um, There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, There is absolutely nothing. First of all, we are all on a different road. Second of all, we really have no idea what's truly happening before or after those smiling photos were taken. Um, How many photos were there really? Were there a hundred? I don't know. And what if anyone else is is struggling with. Everyone's situation is different and you might be surprised about what's really happening. Still, it's amazing that that little voice inside our head can tell us so many made-up stories that make us feel awful. The truth is many are struggling and it's rare that everyone has it all together. Nobody has all the answers. If they seem like they do, it's it's not it's not real. Still, there tends to be a desire when we get to the beginning of the year to look at it as a fresh start. And I like that. I hope you like that too. As long as we don't put too much pressure on ourselves, um, if it doesn't all look like what we should be doing or what we think it's supposed to be or what it looks like in comparison to our super motivated neighbor who might be experiencing a different level of stress than you are, maybe a lower amount of stress. And that neighbor maybe has more time and more lofty goals and good for your neighbor. Um, Maybe that's not you. Looking at the new year as a fresh start can have some advantages though. It allows us to put some of the frustration in the past, right? I mean, not all of it, obviously, but we can label that that's something that happened last year, at least for now, and generate some more hope as we look at the coming months. And that part is good. I mean, look, we're never going to forget what happened. And so many of us have experienced incredible loss and frustration and our frontline workers, I mean, if you're one of them, wow. I mean, you have been through so very much. Um, I'm hearing from people on Facebook who are taking care of loved ones and they're really sick and they're really exhausted. And I can only imagine my heart goes out to you. I'm holding you in my heart every single day. Um, But we can look at this year as a little bit of a fresh moment. And of course, there's no magic button. So too much pressure on that, what we're going to accomplish in 2021, at least for the first half, probably isn't the best idea. I'm getting ready to order um, a calendar for my wall in my office. And I'm like, you know, I just, if it's not full of all the things that I was used to having it full of before, um, speaking engagements and, you know, all kinds of like creative things that I have up there, it's okay. Like we're going to get done with what we can get done. But I think hope is good in this situation. And with the dawn of 2021, I'd like to, let's like embrace hope with a dose of perspective and flexibility and self-kindness and a little bit of 
surrender. Uh, you may have heard Dr. Dara Harris uh, talk about ADHD on my podcast, and she talks a lot about surrender as well. Surrendering to what's happening and realizing that we can't be in control of everything. We're going to surrender then to more time away from loved ones until it's safe, and that stinks. We may be surrendering to more virtual or hybrid schooling for many, not all, but for many. We may be surrendering to the lack of normal, though, again, truly stinks. But yes, we also have hope. So given that we are hopeful, let's look at 2021 with some reasonable goals. And that's something I want to discuss today. What are some reasonable goals that we can discuss with our kids so that 2021 turns out to be better, a better year than 2020? I mean, look, I know the bar is low, so that's okay. We need to get some sense of accomplishment so that we can begin to feel our feet underneath us again. Goals just give us a bit more uh, organization and focus. They don't need to be big or long-term. In fact, I, I don't even think that's necessary right now and not really maybe the best idea for most people because we're just looking for increments of progress, right? Perhaps these goals might have a little bit of a different feeling this year. So let's talk about empathy-based goals, goals that can be helpful to the household and the family and unload some of the burden from any one person. I know that certain parents uh, might be feeling like everything is falling on their shoulders and maybe there's a need to shift things a little bit right now. Um, and we can also connect and discuss goals that relate to tough topics because, of course, that's what we're doing here. And so many of you are listening in for for scripts and tips on those kinds of things. And I want to talk about that. So I know it's odd that I'm not going to be interviewing somebody today, but because this is something I love to talk about, uh, goal setting and character and empathy, as well as how to talk to kids about tough topics, I thought it'd be fun for it to be just you and me today. So like, let's pull up a chair. Um, if you're driving, let's just listen in or running or, hey, if you can grab a cup of coffee, sit with me, let's chat for a while. And I just want to thank you for being here. So... We often talk about goals in terms of being smart. Some of you may have heard that S-M-A-R-T. That's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. And for me, I mean, anybody who's listened to me speak about this topic or have read about it from my perspective, I like to switch that up a bit, especially when working with kids and talk about a goal needing to be smarter. And I talk about this in detail in a US News and World Report article I wrote, I don't know, maybe last year or the year before, and I'll put that in the show notes, okay? So just quickly, so that we just have a frame of reference, um, as short-term, when we set short-term goals with our children, they're easier to achieve. M, meaningful, the goal must be meaningful to the person who's going after it. A, agree on the terms, because we don't typically go after a goal all by ourselves. We rely on others while working on it, and children have to rely on many people in order for their goals to be put into action. Um, you know, who's driving, who's helping, who's teaching. R is for reason-based. Why is my goal meaningful uh, to me? And then T, time-bound. What is the deadline to achieve that goal? Is it realistic? Uh, e, 
explicit because children are such concrete thinkers. It's important that they're able to visualize their goals. So see it, sense it, say it, and then they can believe it and achieve it. And finally, room for mistakes. Now we got to make space for a lot of those. Working towards goals can be messy and imperfect. And when we say that out loud and we talk to our kids about that, it's really helpful. Um, So I'll be talking more about helping kids set goals the right way, actually on an upcoming webinar. So if that's of interest, I'll be sending out more information about that on social media and by email. If you're on my email list, you will be hearing about that. So while we're all uh, while all of this is, is very important for goal setting, this year is, I'm going to think about it as a reparative year. Um, we are all exhausted. So the gusto behind goal setting and goal getting isn't really there for many of us. Hey, if, if you're there, that is awesome. But many of us are just like trying to pull ourselves up and and get out of the sort of rut we're in. We're, we're really tired. Um, we're, we're held back by uh, sadness and loneliness. So here's what I propose. Starting the year off with empathy. Even if you're goal setting, let's start with empathy for others. And yes, empathy for ourselves too. So how will this goal affect me and how will it affect others and impact others? Do I have the strength to do it? What's urging me forward? Do I have the support I need? So let's talk about that first today. So some of you may know that I write a character curriculum called Powerful Words for these amazing kid and family-oriented programs and academies around the world. And each month, it provides a powerful word of the month and scripts and projects to discuss each powerful word. So this year, uh, the package I provided for January 2021 didn't start with some of the most classic January-type words, um, like you know, it didn't start with initiative or goal setting or vision or determination. It started with empathy because I think and perhaps you agree, I hope you agree, that we could all use a little bit more empathy right now. Empathy, as I explained it to kids, is our ability to take a walk in somebody else's shoes. Um, I talk about it in in a major amount of form with uh, Michelle Borba, who talked about empathy in Unselfie, and she talks about it with us um, on two different podcasts, one related to bullying and one really you know, talking about her book on selfie. So if you're really interested in learning more about that, that's, those are great podcasts to look into. But I define it for young kids in my curriculum using their perspective, as in, um, did you know that we can be detectives, is how I talk to them about it, and figure out how others are feeling by looking at their faces, their bodies, and the clues around them? We can imagine how others are feeling by imagining ourselves standing in their shoes in the same situation and thinking, how would I feel if I were that person standing there, hearing and seeing what's going on? Would I be scared or happy or sad or angry or surprised, disgusted or something else? We say this is taking a walk in somebody else's shoes. And when we can imagine how somebody else feels, we call it empathy. So empathy is I can imagine how you feel, all right? Once children understand what empathy is, we can then talk about it in light of what's going on now, which is great, right? So let's say grandma 
hasn't seen her family for many months. So how might grandma be feeling right now? When we use empathy as an empathy detective or an empathy investigator, we can then imagine she might be feeling sad or lonely. It's then that we might make uh, might be able to set or rework our goals to ensure that we connect with grandma, let's say every Tuesday or Friday, or we can uh, set a goal to FaceTime every other week or make a card or send a letter, whatever works for your child or for your family. And when the goal comes from your child, maybe you're brainstorming with you, like how can we connect with grandma? Then it's rooted in empathy, but it's also going to stick because it's their idea, right? They're not going to argue with themselves. So I like to talk about these kinds of things around the dinner table because we're all there, but do it when it works for you. It's, It's very rare that my whole family is together right now, except like around the dinner table, unless we're like watching a movie or that kind of thing. Like they're still, you know, my kids might be doing virtual school and we're working. Um, my kids are out, um, you know, playing on the trampoline or, um, riding their bikes. So this is the time for us that really works, but maybe you're in the car with them sometimes. And that's a great time to talk. Always. Those are great times to talk. You find what works for you. I find that asking questions can be a great way to start a conversation. So instead of telling your child that grandma must be sad, you can ask your child how they might be feeling if they hadn't seen their family for a while, or ask them how they are feeling about not being able to see grandma or a certain friend. And then you can help them by brainstorming, asking questions, reflecting what they are saying, or simply listening so that they can come up with a way that might help themselves and their loved ones feel maybe a little less lonely or scared or sad during this time. So often when grandma gets the phone call and the card or the letter, there must be maybe a change in emotion that is detectable in her voice or her facial expression and body language. So you would be pointing that out to your kids too. You can talk about that as another imagine moment. What do you think she will say when she gets your card? Or what do you think her face will show when she reads your letter? Or an actual moment. Did you hear the change in her voice when she heard it was you on the other line? You can apply this to other empathy-based goals like choosing a charity to donate to or doing a collection. This past holiday season, um, and some of you probably did this as well, um, we adopted a family and we got presents for this particular family that was in need at a shelter in our local area. And it was a great feeling to be able to to help this family and i did ask like how can you how how can you imagine how somebody might feel to not have presents to open on a special holiday how would you feel how do you think they might feel when they do open this gift and also how do you feel about giving this gift my daughter put away $50 to give to a charity that focuses on homeless people and her emotions will be boosted by giving and those who receive the money or 
help can also have a change of an emotion. This is an empathy goal that wins in every direction. There's amazing thing about empathy is that the person who is empathetic, the person who is thinking of others also gets a beautiful benefit. And while that makes it maybe a little less altruistic, it's still an amazing thing to do. I love that my kids want to give to others. This could be a personal goal or a family goal. These are all different ways to teach empathy and show that their efforts matter and make a difference. This can become a springboard for other empathy-based goals in your home. So that was the first thing that I really wanted to talk about, the kind of grounding your goals in empathy this year. Now, what about household goals? You may or you may not have the bandwidth for this right now, and that's okay. But if you are like me at all, I was honestly feeling such a sense of loss of control in the house as routines and norms sort of went by the wayside. I realized like, ah, my kids were, you know, here so much more than normal. So the messes were bigger. They were more often. Meals seemed to happen all the time. Did that happen to you? My children are so hungry and they're here all the time and they're eating and they're eating and they're eating. And there's boxes of crackers and there's, you know, napkins and there's, you know, the bowls and cups and so many cups. It's just incredible. So this this is what was happening. Plus, like games were out and the blankets were always unfolded. I mean, literally always. I, I'd fold them and then they would be unfolded again. So this happened to you? I recently started to think that maybe there was an opportunity to get my children more involved in keeping the house clean. So this became an interesting goal that I wanted to look into. Um, I had moments when I told myself how this was not going to work, okay? (laughs) And moments of frustration that I seemed to be picking up after people all the time. I know my husband felt the same way. And my kids are getting older and I just wished... I don't know, that they were more in like instinctively neater and would just like clean as they went. (laughs) But this is not the norm. Like, I mean, this is not like a Norman Rockwell painting. This just doesn't happen. Maybe it is for you. And like, hey, I'm really excited for you if that's you. But I know a lot of parents who have been so frustrated and annoyed that their jobs within the home seem to go up exponentially. And many were also still working sort of outside of the home or they were taking work, work from outside and bringing it home, working, you know, many jobs. And, and this feels unfair to like just be, you know, doing so many things at once. I also had these voices of some of my podcast guests in my head telling me that this could be a good time for my kids to learn some new habits and skills that would serve them as adolescents and adults. So I decided that some household goals and reworking of the jobs and family contributions in the home made sense for me at this point. On top of that, I had recently been talking to one of my best friends and she had also made this shift in such a beautiful way and sent me her kids' chore and contribution charts that she had made after listening to a few of the podcast episodes that dealt with allowance um, on how to talk to kids about anything. The one with Neil Godfrey, um, the one with Beth Kobliner, and one with Rachel Cruz, and There are ones that dealt with learning skills, like uh, the one I did with Julie Lithcott-Hames and several others. I'll put these links in the show notes again. So I decided to do something. 
after dinner, my kids have helped clear the table and wiped down the table and counter for quite a long time now. But my husband was still the one who was cleaning all the dishes and putting things in the dishwasher. And I was the one who bought the groceries and cooked everything. And I was still the one who was putting all the items away and sweeping the floor and, and doing other odds and ends. And I decided that it was time to make this shift. Uh, it, it's like a great time to do it because we're all home. So I talked to my kids in terms of character and contribution, and we discussed fairness and kindness and responsibility and empathy. Remember, teaching kids to be responsible doesn't just help them to show up for others. It helps them to show up for themselves. Our own dreams and our own goals are realized when we commit and follow through. So each time we teach responsibility and our children can exhibit responsibility, we're helping our kids on several levels. I asked which jobs they thought they could take on to contribute to the family after dinner when we were all a little tired, honestly, um, because we've been working all day, so that it didn't fall, the bulk of things didn't fall on one to two people, um, and people, their, their shoulders really heavily. My daughter wanted to take on the dishes and the dishwasher, and that was awesome. And honestly, she has done a awesome job. I'm incredibly impressed with her. My son wanted to be the one who put the stuff away and helped me with sweeping the floor. He holds a dustpan. One wipes down the countertop. The other one wipes off the table. Now, I have to tell you, this is working a great, you know, really well, and it's helped us a great deal. But I want to point out how this one shift influences the family. While we are all still helping out, it's much more equitable. And my kids are 10 and a half and almost 12. And this feels comfortable for everyone. We're all spending more time together after dinner. It allows for an extension of some great conversations we have at dinner. My kids are getting a sense of, of, of accomplishment. My daughter is taking great pride in her job as, as the person who's washing the dishes and reminds my husband that it is her job and she would like to do it herself. She said straight to my husband, dad, I can do it by myself. It's my job. I can do it. And I like that. I think that is awesome that she's taking that ownership and it's making her feel more responsible and she's feeling like she's lending something really important to the family. She takes pride in the clean sink after the job is done. And the job honestly is getting done better and more completely, which gives me a sense of incredible calm and makes everything more orderly. My kids are learning some important skills, but also learning that when every pitch, everybody pitches in, the job gets done faster and better and no one person or two people should be doing all the work. And when I was younger, I mean, I don't know if this was the case for you, but I set the table, my mom cooked, I cleared, she cleaned. My brothers and my father really didn't contribute to this part of the job distribution. My father worked outside of the home and was a great dad. My brothers took out the trash, but they really were excused from a lot of the cleaning because they were boys. And I love them and, and it was just the time, um, but I wanted to change that. I wanted to make sure that both my son and daughter saw my husband and myself contributing in all different ways to the household and how the household functioned and that all people, regardless of gender, were expected to help as this is how teams work. Uh, it may work differently in your home, but for us, I really wanted everybody to be part of the team. Again, you can bring empathy to this discussion. So how would it feel for one person to do all the work while other people played or watched TV? How would it make each person feel when everyone pitched in and got the job done faster and better? 
It also gives great opportunity for honest gratitude. Thank you for helping me keeping that, keep that floor clean. It really makes a difference. Look, I know that seems simple, but I really feel like the gift of gratitude is often one of the least expensive and one of the most valuable gifts you can give to someone, especially children who are not always thanked for their contributions, but they should be. It gives the opportunity for honest praise of contribution or of uh, strengths and character. I'm really impressed with how you've cleaned these dishes so beautifully. You are a responsible person and take such pride in your work and it's truly noticed and appreciated. Again, this might seem like something small, like something like small to say, but in a society that focuses on faults a great amount of time, it's important to take the time to see and notice strengths and character. Nothing builds children up like knowing that someone they value sees their value. And it also shows teamwork, right? You can, you can use empathy there. Thanks team for making this go so easily and quickly. It makes me feel so good. And empathy recognition. When we all work together like this and you all show such responsibility, it makes me feel so good inside. How does it make you feel? And it doesn't need to be about the kitchen. It can be laundry, it can be collecting trash from waste paper baskets. It could be other jobs. It could be gardening. What's one or more of your household goals that can involve your kids and provide an opportunity for growth and empathy this year? You can pick something when you're able. There's no pressure. What I found is that it has lightened the load for me um, in the end. Yes, we had to teach the skill or give feedback when something could be done a different way. Did the job take longer the first time my son needed to do the dishes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Was he putting in the dishes upside down and wrong? Yes, absolutely. And it gave us the opportunity to make those corrections and show them the right way and talk about, well, you know, the spray is going coming up from the bottom of the dishwasher. So if you have a dishwasher, this is you know, something to discuss. If you don't, and or you're uh, encouraging hand washing, and some of the things need to be hand washed, then you know, you're teaching kids how to use the different side of the sponge and how you clean it and what goes on with the water and what goes on with the soap. So all of this is important. It's important for skills, um, skill development. It's important to rate how in, in relation to how to raise an adult, as Julie Lithcott Haim would say, Haims would say, but it also gives kids a sense of pride and it did lighten the load and make a positive change in our home. So if you can do it, I'd encourage it if you have the time because the kids are there and you're there and we're all frustrated with the amount of work we all constantly have to do. And then finally today, I wanted to mention goals around tough talks, of course, because here we are talking about tough things so much of the time. These are infiltrated with empathy for both ourselves and our kids because they're tough. <laughs> we have so much more time together right now discussing some of the tough topics that we have explored here on the podcast. And so it may work for you to pick a topic. And I am here with you, sweet friend, just holding your hand through them. That's what I want to be. That's why I do these podcasts. That's why I'm writing the book. I want to be the person who's there for you while you're having this tough conversation and feeling maybe alone or worried. 
I want to be there for you. So every child, of course, is on their own timeline and every parent will be comfortable at different times having various conversations. You are all here because I know you care and you are great parents who want to have these conversations. You can choose one that's important to you and that you feel ready to discuss. And remember, these conversations should be exchanges of feelings and information and perspectives. It shouldn't just be you talking, um, as I'm sitting here talking and talking and talking, but um, it shouldn't just be you talking. We sometimes feel like we need to take the lead, but that isn't the case, actually, for a lot of these tough talks. If you find yourself talking and talking, take a moment to take a breath and allow for some quiet or for your children to take the lead. We we all sometimes make that mistake. Sometimes we want to like fill in the silence, like, oh gosh, it feels so weird. And listening to our children is important, but it also could be hard if they have like a different perspective than us and we may be worried about what they're going to say. I know that when I'm talking, it can feel like I'm more in control. Um, so then you want to talk more. Does that happen to you? Maybe it does. These talks aren't always easy, but we want them to involve everybody at the table, so to speak. So I like to remind myself as I'm a talker, as you can tell, um, (laughs) when engaging in conversation, remember this is a discussion, not a soliloquy. If I can keep that in mind, then, you know, you allow for pauses, you allow for the other people to talk about things and give their perspective. And you also can ask questions that elicit that discussion. The other day, my daughter and I passed a large accident on the side of the highway. I mean, this happens a lot, right, in life, but this happened on um, January 2nd. And while she asked a couple of questions about it in the car, she wound up bringing it up again at the dinner table to, uh, to everyone at the table to discuss. And we wound up sitting at the table way past the time when the meal was over. And I love that. That's so great. This situation, the car accident, became what I think of as an organic springboard for discussion. And I love those. And while I never want you to feel pressure to talk about something uncomfortable. I urge you to take these organic springboards as an opportunity. No need for judgment or blame. In this case, I simply asked, what do you think might have happened to cause that four-car accident? This led to a discussion about distracted driving and texting while driving, drinking while driving, falling asleep at the wheel because maybe somebody was tired, and a variety of other hypotheses. Of course, we have no idea what actually caused the accident, but we were able to discuss some of these tough topics, some of these touchy subjects, as what as well as what to do in different situations if they were the ones who were getting into a car, if somebody was too tired to drive or drinking or distracted, or if their gut told them that they were unsafe. It's a springboard. We were no longer talking about the accident we saw, but relevant information to our developing kids. So I asked, for example, what would you do if you were at a friend's house and you really wanted to get home, but you were too tired to drive? Obviously, my kids are too young to drive, but I was asking them to imagine that they were old enough to drive in that situation. Or you had made the choice to drink and knew we may not approve of underage drinking and it was time to go home. 
what would you do? We were able to underscore that safety was much more important to us than the choice to drink, that we would always want our children to call if they were in trouble rather than risk injury or death. My daughter came up with ideas like I could call you and tell you that I'll sleep there because I'm too tired to drive safely. We discussed Uber and Lyft and taking the keys of a friend who isn't fit to drive. And if the voice inside your head is telling you something's unsafe, listen. Or if your gut is telling you something doesn't feel right, you are probably correct. Listen. These organic springboards feel good because you don't feel like you have to come up with something out of the blue and sort of generic or forced, like today we're going to talk about drinking and driving or texting and driving. Instead, the conversation unwraps itself on its own. And these initial conversations that happen when kids are younger then can build as they get older and, you know, Drinking and driving may be something that actually could happen, right? You can bring in the empathy part by asking, how would you feel if you were at a friend's house and his or her big sister offered to drive you home, but you had seen that this person was drinking? Or how do you think we would feel about you getting into a car where the driver was texting while driving? Or what do you think you would do in that situation? The what if game can be an excellent way to get your children thinking Different techniques work with different children. So if what if for you is met with like, I don't know, you can discuss these tough talks in a way that works for you and your children. Some people like to use statistics because their kids love hard facts. Some people like to use stories from their past. My kids love it when we use that, like what we wish we had done differently if we made like a big whopper of a mistake. Um, my, my husband talks about a time when he was speeding, when he was a teenager and got pulled over. And my kids love to hear about that kind of thing, like the big mistake and then what we would have done differently or what we did in that situation, what we wish we could have told ourselves in that situation as an older person telling the younger person, whatever you use, I urge you to have the conversation with your kids, whatever conversation it is. Set a goal for this year to have some of the key talks we discuss on this podcast because they get easier the more you have them. And again, I am with you every step of the way. So sweet friends, what will you do? And look, if it's too much right now, I don't want to add anything to your plate. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. That I, I truly get that. Just because we flipped the calendar to January doesn't mean that we are all ready to put our nose to the grindstone. Everything and everyone in their own time. If you are ready to make an empathy-based goal, remember, it's about thinking of other people's feelings, yes, but it also acknowledges and honors your own. So what works for you now? And perhaps what might be beneficial both to you and to others? What small act can make a difference? Just listening here right now, taking this time makes a difference. You're such thoughtful parents and educators, and I honor that in you. So let's discuss your goals and your thoughts. You can come up to Facebook and go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And if you love this podcast, my solo cast, just me and you, I would love to hear about that. If you would go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about this 
podcast, I'd be so excited. It makes such a difference because it feeds this algorithm for iTunes so that more people see the podcast and then can make the choice to listen to it and become part of our family. I truly appreciate it. So that's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning into How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storm and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I know you may have heard something today and you might have been thinking, oh, I missed that opportunity to have that discussion when my daughter or my son said this or that. You can always go back. You can always say, you remember you said that one thing about that kid smoking? Like, let's talk more about that. I feel like I shut that conversation down or I didn't take that as an opportunity to talk to you, but I would like to talk about that. Whatever it is, you can always go back. Or maybe you said something and you said, oh boy, like I I talked the whole time. I didn't hear their perspective. Whatever it is, you can do it differently. Again, it's so nice that we can have multiple chances to have a conversation. So I see you and I'm right there with you as we tackle and stroll into 2021, gasping or running or maybe wiping our brow. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.